so good to be in the house of God. If you are in grade six or younger, you're dismissed to go to kids' church. Before you find your seats, I want you to high-five five people around you. You might have to move out of your chairs and tell them that God looks good on you. Praise the Lord. Well, I hope you keep the chatter going, and I hope that should be alive. At Live City Church, we want to have a live church. So I want you to holler back. You know what holler back means? I mean, you talk back, okay? You talk back. You can even hassle me if you want. That's okay. I'll preach it, okay? But don't be silent listeners, okay? But be active in the Word of God. Well, this morning, just before I get into the Word, I wanted to honor a couple people this morning. And uh, if you're just new to Live City Church, you're probably enjoying our new facility. Let me tell you, we survived two summers and a winter on a basketball court out in the open. We, we had a roof. Come on, if you were there, you know what I'm talking about. Curry, who's sitting up here this morning, I remembered when we, uh, some of the guys started being really clever, they thought, let's take these banners and we'll just tie them around our lighting trees, which I'm now fixed, but it was lighting trees, and then the wind would pick up and it whacked her, and she's still trying to worship the Lord, and like, oh my goodness, it's so bad, workplace health and safety, like, Lord, so we had to change that, let me tell you, the things that we have gone through to get here, but uh, there were a couple people that were absolutely standout, I I just love being part of this church and to see the hearts that are here. I remember a miracle. He just started coming. He was just visiting. He wasn't at Live City yet, yet he served on his hands and knees and he was helping us out. And I remember the youth getting involved and the young adults. You know, sometimes the carpets weren't glued properly and we're still working on that. So thank you for your grace with that. Some of the carpet tiles haven't stuck, but I want you to know we had young people. We had all people. We had all kinds of people that were on their hands and knees building. But there were a couple people that were standouts, and they came here regularly over and over and over, day after day. Uh, this particular gentleman uh, was a guy that, I, to this day, I still rely on him. Now, he has his ups and downs, but he's got a lot of ups lately, and it's been so good seeing him championing on for the Lord. And uh, this man, nothing was too difficult for him. Let me tell you, to the, the challenges you will not understand. Oh, my goodness. Fit outs. Wow. It was crazy, but every time, if I could make an appointment, I would call this guy up. And so I wanted to honor him this morning and uh, his cohort, the uh, gentleman that helped him out many days. Uh, let me tell you, sorry about this, many days, uh, uh, I don't know if you remember, but those of you that walked in here and prayed that this would be a building would have seen that this was a pink ceiling. Do you remember that? It was pink and we had apricot floor tiles. Uh, it's all radically changed. But would you just give me the honor or give them the honor? If you stand to your feet and welcome Marty and T, come up here. Keep that round of applause coming. Come up here, gentlemen. Come on, keep that applause coming. This is worthy to be honored. Worthy to be honored. So on behalf of Live City Church, uh, money probably doesn't cut it. But we just wanted to just thank you so much for your heart for the house. We love you. And we had this in mind for a while. We, we bought it. But um, uh, the problem was uh, Marty was not. No, that's, that's you. <laughs> I see what he's trying to do. I, I see what you're trying to do there. And uh, Marty wanted to travel to Nepal. And he wants to travel again. And uh, we wanted to buy you tickets to Qantas. And then he told me he hates Qantas. So we had to revise. That's why it took so long. God bless you, my brothers. Thank you so much. How are you doing? We love you. So this is for your next missions trip, okay, to Nepal. God bless you, my brother. Thank you so much. Come on, one more time. Let's hear it for these guys. 
champions of the faith. God bless you. Amen. Please find your seats. Well, unless you were hiding under a rock this week, you would know that Queen Elizabeth II uh, went to be with the Lord. And unlike other kings and queens and other monarchy, this was a woman who legitimately professed her faith for the Lord. In fact, uh, it's, it's there in media. Just have a look. Look at her carols, uh, Christmas speeches that she made, constantly giving glory to God. I wanted to highlight a few. Vision Christian Media uh, summarized a lot of them, and they said that when she was 13, princess at that time, Elizabeth, wrote a Christian poem for her father, which she later quoted in a public speech. On her 21st birthday, she dedicated her life to her people, and she asked for prayer. It's not common now. In her Christmas address of 1957, I believe this is the first one, the young queen alluded to dark forces trying to undermine religion and morality and the courage needed to stop them. In 2002, she spoke publicly about her faith. She said, quote unquote, I know just how much I rely on my faith to guide me through the good times and the bad. In her Christmas message of 2012, she told how God sent his son to serve, not to be served. And in doing so, restored love and service in the center of our lives, in the person of Jesus Christ. Her 2014 message shared the gospel and the queen said, For me, the life of Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, is an inspiration and an anchor in my life a role model of reconciliation and forgiveness. To have a monarch say those kinds of words, I, I know that the nation and the nations of the world were moved by this woman and her death because she had done so much for her people. She was more than a leader of just uh, the, the nation of the UK and the Commonwealth. She was also a leader over her family. And she was also a, a devout woman of God. And while others had come and gone, this woman was constant. Let me say that before I was born, Queen Elizabeth was in power. When I was born, the queen was in power. I remembered when I started school, the queen was in power, and I finished school. Then I went to university, the queen was in power. I got my first job, Queen Elizabeth was in power. And then I met my bride of 26 years, the queen was in power, and we welcomed each of our children, and that queen was still in power. And we just assumed that she'd be around forever, a bit like Melchizedek, you know, no beginning and no end. She was just there. But the Bible says, it is appointed for men to die once, and then the judgment. There is an end time. There's an expiration date to our lives. And if for nothing else, as I'm trawling through and I'm reading all the different posts from people in social media, giving honor to this woman and the things that she had done, the sacrifices she had made for a nation, it begins to arouse in people this whole question of mortality. Turn to the person next to you and tell them, you ain't going to be around forever. 
When you're younger, you're thinking, I'm going to live forever. I mean, the way that they drive the car when they still do that, I'm just, uh, we're teaching our nephew to drive at the moment. He's 15, and dear God, he's, I've got to be careful, he's controlling, 16, he's controlling the microphone. I've got to be careful, saying nice words, nice things, nice things. But, uh, you know, oh my goodness, and trying to navigate that journey. And, uh, he, you know, he's good, he's really careful, but I've seen others his age, they are reckless, they are dangerous. I told him that's the reason why insurance is so high until you hit 24. The younger you are, you think you're going to live forever. I remember when my father passed away. He was at the age of 53, and I thought he was old. And now I'm older than my own father. I've outlived him. And everything for me is borrowed time. It's a new day. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of James and chapter 4, where he writes and talks about what life is like. James chapter 4, and we're going to read verse 13 and 14. I've got a couple passages of scripture that will be the main scripture for today. And uh, it's a different kind of message. I usually come up with, you know, I got three points, I got five. I'm not going to do that today. I'm just going to share my heart and preach the gospel. James chapter 4, verse 13 to 14 says, Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city. Spend a year there. Carry on business and make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. I'm fixated as I read this. Firstly, the fact is, yes, our life is like a mist, and the younger you are, it feels like forever. But do you remember those of you that are gray-haired with me? I got a little bit. By the grace of God, I'm still looking young. People say I look 30s, 40s. Bring it, you know, bring it. But let me tell you, when you hit 21, that age of reason, you understand everything, you know your responsibility, it seems like time now is just skipping by faster and faster and faster. I'm pretty sure it was January, term one of the school year. We just started, and now I'm thinking we're at the end of the final week of term three. The year is coming to a close, and time is drawing by and flying by very, very quickly. Some of you with young children, there's, that, you know, there's a point you're like, I can't wait for my kids to grow up. And I remember someone told me, take photos, take videos, take lots of photos, because the time will go by so fast and I'm now on the other side of the timeline, and I am just shocked at how true that was. In the middle of the night, you fathers and mothers, as you're changing the nappy, the diaper, and your sleep is disturbed, and you've got to do your feeding, it is tiring and thinking, when will this end? But let me tell you, it's only a season, and then it goes very, very quickly. But the question that I was drawn to is in this passage and the question is asked from over 2,000 years ago and the question is still valid today. What is your life? What does your life look like? Francis Chan, you've heard me, sh- I'm going to share it once or twice. He gives this incredible illustration of what it's like, what life is like. And on a stage in his church, he would have this rope and there were curtains there and wings, and the rope was like so long, it goes past that wing, and he would take that rope all the way to the other end of the stage, and for the sake of our streaming, I'm going to go here. And he, f- he focuses on just the end piece of that rope, and it's painted red. And he says, 
All you think about is this red part. That's it. You are fixated on it. You are thinking about it over and over, day after day. You're saying to yourself, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to save, save, save. And then, and then I'm going to enjoy this little part right here. And you're thinking to yourself, you're working hard and you're trying to prolong your life. You are dieting. You're trying to eat the right foods. And I've seen people younger than I pass away. And yet they were the most healthiest, as you could imagine, in terms of what they ate or what they didn't eat. My wife, she's very famous for this when she thinks about, you know, if you just, you know, if you gave up your coffee, if you just gave up that, that beautiful sweet brew in the morning, life would be absolutely miserable. We survive. My life would be miserable. I survive because my wife has a cup of coffee. She tells me that in the time of Babylon, I think back, was it Babylon or uh, the Byzantine, sorry, it was the empire, Ottoman, Ottoman, Ottoman Empire, that it was a rule that a man had to have enough money to provide coffee for his wife every day. Ladies, turn to your husbands right now and say, he said it. I believe it. <laughs> Jesus' name. <laughs> Preach. Preach. We try and live. Remember, remember Michael Jackson? He, he, he slept in a, an oxygen tent to prolong his life, and he died. And he did not prolong his life. He, lived, he died many years ago. And Francis Cheney says, what I do in this little red part determines how I'm going to live for millions and millions and millions of years for eternity. But we're fixated on that little part, this little mist that we call life. The Bible records the thoughts of the Apostle Paul as he's aging, he's growing older, he's nearing the end of his life, and this man has been beaten for the sake of the gospel. He was stoned many times to the point of death. Some commentators say, like, the first time he was stoned, he actually died. The Bible says, the disciples gathered around him and prayed for him, and he woke up. They believe he actually died. He died many times. He was whipped and scourged, 40 lashes, several times. This man was betrayed. This man was just shipwrecked and all kinds of things that you can imagine. That's the Apostle Paul. And these words are recorded in Philippians chapter 1. You're welcome to turn there. Philippians chapter 1. These are words I believe that every Christian, every follower of Jesus should live by. Philippians chapter 1. And read with me verses 21 to 24. Philippians 1, 21 to 24. Oh, thank you for putting it on the screen. But I want you to highlight this in your Bibles. He writes in the New Living Translation, For to me, living means living for Christ. And dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't mind which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for you, for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Here's a man at the end of his life. He's thinking about eternity now because the days ahead of him are less than the days behind him. 
my old senior pastor who first got me into the ministry. Uh, this year he celebrated his 72nd birthday. And he was writing this post, and uh, I was reminded of that as I was preparing this message. Because I thought, wow, I've never seen him thought, think about and be concerned about eternity like he is right now. And he wrote, some don't seem to like growing old, but I enjoy it so far. The anticipation and consciousness of heaven is enhanced. I often find myself thinking about many people I have pastored and loved and who have gone on before me. I really enjoy thinking about seeing them again. I think about meeting our two children we lost by miscarriage. I'm conscious that Jesus raised them for us. I enjoy watching young people become better and more able than I. I weep that the fear of God has departed from our community. I pray that it will return, although I sense that it will come through trials. Mostly, though, I love Jesus more each day. I can't imagine not having his presence in my life every day. His love is so immense, it breaks my heart that so many don't experience it. And the Apostle Paul is echoing the same sentiments that if you truly, truly surrendered your life to Jesus, if you truly understand what it means to be saved, you made it. When you know that you apply the Word of God and it changes radically your life and the trajectory of your life, that you can live life, you can live life abundantly, it changes the way that you look at Him. And you just love Him so much. And that's why Paul says living means living for Christ. And dying is even better. What he's saying is that what makes his life so sweet is that he did not live his life for himself. This is that question that we asked earlier. What is your life? What is the sum total of your life? What have you been doing with your time on this planet? And how is it going for you? He lived to serve others. He understood the ultimate purpose of man is to live for Christ. Not to live for self, to live for Christ. And yet even in the church today, of course I'm not talking about Life City Church, all the other churches, all of us, some will live for Christ. They profess the name of Jesus. They profess the lordship of Jesus. But for many, they love Jesus as Savior but they don't like Jesus as Lord, at least not over their entire life. But either he's Lord of all or not at all. And Paul is a man who is completely sold out for Jesus, completely sold out for him. The Bible says when you try to live for yourself, you find this all over the place, the Bible warns us that there will be all sorts of trouble. You can't live for yourself. In James chapter 4, verse 1, he says, What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Speaking to Christians, don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You know, we have this mentality that the devil made me do it. 
Satan can't make you do anything you don't want to do. This is what the scripture is saying. What he does is he arouses the desires inside you. He knows. Here's the thing. The devil saw you when you were born. He's been watching mankind for over 5,000 years. He knows what makes you tick. He's looking for a way to take you down. The Bible says that the, the devil is a lion seeking whom he may devour. You may think to yourself, that's the thing, we live so much in this world with our five senses, what you see, taste, touch, smell, and hear, that we ignore the fact that eternity is on your hearts, that you were made for eternity, and this time that we have is a, a trial period, it is a testing period to see if you've got what it takes to live for eternity with Him. Be careful that what you want doesn't lead you into trouble. I can tell you as a pastor of, I'm just shy of 20 years, how many times people have come to me over the years, in those 20 years, and said, Pastor, pray for me. I'm going for a new job. Pastor, pray for me. I'm going to start a new business. Pastor, pray for me. And so we begin to pray. For some of them, I am going to fast. I'm going to pray until I see the breakthrough. And they get it. They get it. The Lord answers the prayer. But what happens is within a short period of time, within months and sometimes within a year, you'll see the same people when they were in a place of need and a place of want, they are constantly coming into the house of God. They come to prayer meetings. They're involved in the life groups, the connect groups. They're being discipled. They want to grow in the Lord because they know I need Him. And yet when God blesses them, they start disappearing from the house of God. God's blessed them so they don't come into the house of God anymore because I've got to, I'm rusted, I've got to work. Or they'll say, oh, because I've got to do this for my business. I've got to get ahead. I've got to work. I've got to keep going. Life is but a vapor. It's short. Paul had been doing such a great work for the Lord, every day serving the Lord. I remember reading a book by Benny Hinn. Now, he... Whatever you think of Benny Hinn, he has come back to the Lord, which is really good. But this book that he wrote, Good Morning, Holy Spirit, so challenged me as a young man. I must have been 11 or 12 years old when I read his book. And he would forcibly make sure that he says when he wakes up, first thing, good morning, Holy Spirit. I wait till the family's gone. I have my devotions and I say, good morning, Holy Spirit. What's my assignment for today? What if we truly live for Christ? And not for ourselves. I don't mean a portion of it. I mean all of it. It doesn't mean that you can't enjoy sports. You can't enjoy spending time with your family. It's not saying that. The Lord wants that. He gave you life and life abundantly. But that time when he's saying it draws you to give. You see someone in need and you help them. You rescue them. You go out of your way for them. His conundrum is this. If I live... I can't be with him. I love him so much. I, I just want him in my life. I want him now. And so I, would just, I want to die. I want to be with him. Or if I can, I hasten his coming. Can he just come? But he also realizes that the longer I live, the more that I can serve people. I want to ask you this rhetorical question. What have you been doing with your life to serve other people? Paul you thinking he was a saint well he was after but the man was a rat bag he was a terrible man he was a wicked man the worst kind of person you can imagine 
who had a strong religious zeal. He thought his theology was better than any other and he would destroy anybody else who, was, who differed from his, level, from his idea of theology. He was paid to do that. He was empowered to do that. They were fueling his hatred. And so he saw a group of people, the Christians, the followers of Christ, and he thought, I am just going to persecute this people. I'm going to stamp them out of existence. And in case you think he was a nice guy, he wasn't. He was a murderer. And yet God did something so incredible. I saw this post from a friend of mine this week, and he wrote, uh, from copy for someone else, the Apostle Paul entered heaven to the cheers of those he martyred. That's how the gospel works. The people you hurt become the people you serve. The people you rejected become the people you identify with. This is a story of grace, how God can redeem even the wickedness of such a terrible person for the glory of God. This is a story of grace where sins can be forgiven, our lives can be turned around, and we can be sent out to become a vessel of salvation. God has a sense of humor. He would take the devil's pawn and make him God's prince. He will take the hater and make him a lover. If you don't believe me, look at the person next to you and see what God has done with them. They look all clean now, but they weren't always clean. The thoughts are clean now, but let me tell you, it wasn't always clean. Thank God we can't read each other's minds. Often we're so focused on that little red section, that here and now, that we don't even consider that our life may be required of us sooner than we expect. But if you truly appreciate how God radically saved you from your mess, you can't help but fall in love with him. You can't help but just wait for him. Lord, come. Lord, come. Lord, come. You want his presence in your life. You want to see the tent. Let me tell you, I read these scriptures, you know, the pure in Christ shall see God. God, why can't I see you? I want to see you right now. I want to see you here. I remember in the 70s and 80s, was written, uh, written, uh, you guys might, someone might know it, but a, a man wrote this book about his experience where he desperately wanted to see Jesus. His pastor has preached this message and he said, set a seat for Jesus. The Jews at every Passover, and we celebrate Passover in our church, we, you're supposed to set a seat aside for Elijah to come, right? It's the thing we do. He, he decided, I'm going to set a seat. I'm going to wake up, set my alarm at midnight, and I want to spend time with Jesus. I want him to come. I want him to come. I want him to come. And he would set that alarm clock religiously every night. Jesus never came. Jesus never came. He's saying, Lord, I just want you to come. I just want to see you. I just want to experience you. I read about you. I see how good you are. You're so good in my life. I just want to see you. Will you come? And he didn't come. It was over a year. He didn't come. And he would open up the scripture. Remember, he was opening up one scripture. And then he's, he's reading over it. He's just, God, you've got to come. You've got to come. And then tears started falling on his Bible, and they weren't his. Jesus came and sat with him. His dog apparently had a 
a big dog would sit and he would spend time in the presence of God. This is, took, this took years, spending time in the presence of God. Have you wanted Jesus that much? That you'd be willing to make that sacrifice. Oh God, what will it take? Oh God, what is the price? I'll gladly pay it. What is the price to see your face? To be so in love with him, to be so in love with the world to come. The Bible says, you know, store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't corrupt. It's there, a mansion waiting for you in heaven. You are storing up mansions. My wife and I, we do some things that it's like, why do you do that? I said, because I want my swimming pool in heaven in my mansion. I want Olympic size. I want like uh, wet and wild. I want all the rides in my mansion in heaven. I want to go from my living room into my pool. Like, could you do that, Lord? Could you make that for me? I want a theater room that is a theater. Like, you know, one of those massive kind of things. I want to have fun in my mansion. That's why we do it. <laughs> we love people. But the Bible says, lay up treasures in heaven. But we become so in love with the world that we want to enjoy the pleasures of the world a little bit longer, just a little bit longer. I'm just going to save up. Jesus, I'll be with you in a moment. I just want to spend a little bit more time at work because if I can save up and have this money, we could have a really good holiday. It's going to be amazing. Then we'll spend time together. Jesus spoke of eternity often as if it's just around the corner. Here on moment, Gone the next. And we all have the same amount of time. We have 1,440 minutes a day. 168 hours a week. The Bible tells us in Psalm 90 verse 10, the length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have the strength. The queen lived to 96. My aunties are well on their way. They're 89 and 87. Oh my goodness, they keep going. They're strong. But I want to ask you, we all have the same amount of time. How are you spending your time? What you choose to do with that time will either store up treasures in heaven or a momentary pleasure on earth. I say momentary, it could be years, but in the scheme of millions and millions and millions of years in eternity, it is nothing. Your life is not measured by the one moment you surrendered your life to Jesus. Your life is the sum total, a combination of what you do day by day. Are you serving the Lord day by day? Are you praying? Are you seeking his face day by day? Are you seeking his instruction day by day? Are you looking after those who are in need day after day? You notice no one goes to the funeral of a selfish person? Unless they're a dignitary, then people only do it because of political pomp or you know, business savvy but to the person who has poured their life into community, the place is always filled. I've conducted many funerals in my time. To the person who serves well, one day you will be eternity with Jesus running to you saying, well done, good and faithful servant. That's the one I want. That's the welcome I want. Well done, good and faithful servant. You notice he doesn't say, well done, good and faithful friend. He didn't say friend. Well done, good and faithful Sunday attender. Well done, good and faithful person who served in Life City Care. Good for you. 
He's looking for servants. Just servants. The reason he says servant is because the servant serves the king. Servant serves the master. And the reason why Jesus says welcome good and faithful servant is because that person served. Matthew 25, towards the end, you'll see a story there that's really scary because it's talking to Christians and some who served, some who did not. And the outcome is not great for those who did not. Jesus expects us to live our life for him, to serve as him. Okay, you're not serving as Paul. I'm serving as Jesus. You're serving as Jesus to a people who don't know him. You're not here, you weren't born to warm a chair. You need to be in the house of God, but you weren't born for this. You were born for that. You see, a servant is always attentive to their master's call, and they are obedient to what their master asks them to do. That's a faithful servant. But a free man does whatever they want. That's a lie, by the way, because the Bible says you cannot be a a slave to two masters. It's either one or the other. You're a slave to something else. Can we stand to our feet? I want to I bring this to a close. My wife and I, we have uh, conducted many premarital counseling sessions. We've had lots and lots of couples that we've married over the years. And we insist on having a six-week premarital counseling course. And we talk to them about all the things that, uh, about the Lord. We, we give them these questions. And the first page is all about your life as a Christian. And one particular couple asked us if I would marry them. And they were struggling because she was the black sheep of the family. I mean, her, father, her older brother went on to be a pastor, her sister serving in ministry. She was the black sheep of the family. She was the one that was a bit of the wild child. But she still called herself a Christian. But she had become engaged to a man who was not saved. And so she, she came to us and she said, would you, would you marry us? I said, of course I will. But I did ask her that question. You know, the Bible talks about not being unequally yoked. She goes, I know, but I really feel in my heart of heart, in my spirit, I'm meant to marry this man. And so we began the first day as we asked these questions and began talking about the Lord. He began asking lots of questions. We always opened in prayer and we would pray. <laughs> that he would come to a saving knowledge of God. This is Will and Hazel. And he started asking some deeper questions after a while. We would stop what we were doing, he'd go deeper. And then he would go deeper. And by the third session out of six, this man asked us, that's it, I want to give my life to Jesus. Can I do it right now? Let's do it right now. And we led this man in the sinner's prayer. And of course, the, whole, the rest of the next half of the premarital counseling changed significantly. This is a man who's surrendering his life to the Lord. I remember after that moment, we, soon after, we, we passed at a church in Springfield Lakes. We left and we, we sort of saw from a distance what was happening with their life. Will and Hazel went on to serve in their local church in leadership. There's a picture of him is preaching, you know, this man got heavily, they loved the Lord, they loved the Lord, it was just so good. I remember as we are counseling them, we said to them, we're looking at you with different eyes because we're older, 
And we're seeing this couple and we're, we wanted to talk about the vows, right? In good times and bad times, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health. And we say, you're probably looking at us laughing, thinking, we'll never get sick. <laughs> we'll never get old. We'll never be tough. There won't be any troublesome times we have to go through. It was yesterday, about 8 a.m., when they posted a picture to say that Will had gone to be with Jesus. He had been suffering with cancer. We knew this. Uh, brain tumor for some time. And he fought the battle for eight years. Served diligently in that church. Fully involved. And we can confidently say about Will that he stands in the presence of the Lord hand in hand with the Queen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> 